Right, good morning, everybody. If I can draw you back in uh, to this this message, great being back. Uh, not sure if because uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if you missed us, uh, but we've been away <laughs> for the past three weeks, and uh, we spent the last eight nights in Vietnam. We we just uh, had some time there. Amazing country, amazing place to be. Uh, the temperature is about three times what it is here. Uh, so we got back in yesterday afternoon and it's feeling a little on the cool side for us. But uh, it's all good. We'll keep moving around and it'll keep us going. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, we had never been to Vietnam. Put, put your hand up if you've been to Vietnam. Oh, there's more here than there, than there were at the first service. It was pretty sparse. Is anybody here from Vietnam? Any Vietnamese? I don't think I can see any hands. No? Okay. It's, it's a fascinating country, right? And, um, and if it's on your bucket list, that's cool. It's a fascinating place to go. And we spent time in Ho Chi Minh City for about three days we were there. And then we went um, up to Hoi An, which is beautiful, and spent, uh, I think, five nights there or whatever it was. And it was amazing. And it, funny, one of the things that I tend to do when I'm in a foreign land is I play Spot the Tourist. Do you guys play Spot the Tourist? And, and it's pretty funny. And sometimes you think you've spotted one and then they surprise you and they're not a tourist or whatever. And so you can get it a bit wrong and you, and you might be looking for backpacks, but then a lot of tourists don't wear backpacks anymore. Or you might be looking for zinked up noses. But, you know, again, people are a bit, bit sort of vain for that these days. Not a lot of zinked up noses. And so it's a bit hard sometimes to tell who's the tourist and who's the local. And we, um, we um, actually paid for a tour guide um, on one particular day to show us around the city. Money well spent. Really, really good. Otherwise, I think we would have wandered and not found anything, really. So he showed us all around, and, and that was really awesome. And the traffic there is nuts. And we came home yesterday and we thought, where did everybody go? But we realised they all went to Vietnam because they're all over there. And, and so the traffic is crazy. And almost every single person has a motorbike. Or maybe it's, it's actually, it's often like one between four. So you've got four people on a motorbike. And there's this rule over there that adults have to wear helmets and it's illegal for children to. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But they, our tour guide told us that it's because they don't want the brains of the children to overheat and stop their development. Now, I don't know. I haven't seen the science for this. And he says, anyway, hardly anybody has accidents. Okay. But anyway, and you come to these cross, these intersections, and um, I've got to admit, when I saw all the, the, the zillions of people in motorbikes and cars and all this, and you've got to cross roads. Because if you stay on one side of the road, you've just gone in circles or something. And so you've got to cross the road eventually and there's these, there's these four-way intersections and they do have white stripes sometimes and you think, good, that's where I cross, but no one else seems to know that. I don't know why they painted them. And so we questioned our tour guide because I said to Nick, I'm not crossing the road in Vietnam. And he's like, well, what are we going to do? So we talked to the tour guide and the tour guide said, no, people do cross the roads, which we did see evidence of, many, many people crossing roads. And he said, but there's a couple of rules. Um, the first thing is you have to put your arm up in the air when you cross the road. And if your arm's up in the air, you'll be fine. It actually felt more like your arm's up in the air. It's like, here I am, hit me. But, uh... <laughs> so we were sceptical. So, and also I'm thinking, does he just tell tourists that so you end up looking like a complete twit? But anyway, we looked around and no, there were locals doing this as well. So he showed us, so you've got to put your arm up in the air. And then he said two other things. He said, well, yeah, he said, he said um, go fast but don't run and don't stop. 
Okay. Um, so somewhere in there you get your rhythm. And he said, and the other thing, thing is don't look anyone in the eye when you're crossing, like motorcyclists that are coming towards you. Don't look them in the eye, and they will go around you. Well, we are evidence that this is true. <laughs> they did go around us. But um, and it's, a cra- it's a crazy, crazy place. I've got a fan. Do you like that? Now, and, and you might think, that is such a tourist thing. But I just want to, oh, you can hear the wind through. But I want to tell you, even the locals, the locals were using these fans. So, so I got a fan, and I, I, um, I actually got one for each of my daughters. Um, so they're going to get those later on. It's a secret. Um, but they're real cheap. And so <laughs> I was like, I can do that. I can get... So, I, and mine's slightly bigger than theirs, because that's just how I am. <laughs> Not easy to, to recognise a tourist from a local, but I tell you the one thing that was definite, definite difference, and that was this, that the, the locals are working. The locals are on task. They've, they've got something to do. They're busy. And the tourists are not. The tourists are just wandering around, protecting their stuff and getting more stuff. And that's our segue into today's topic. Yeah, so, so we actually have a message as opposed to stories of Vietnam. We, we can show we you photos if you want to see photos of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, as followers of Jesus, uh, I wonder what identifies us. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, we, if people came into a church and they said, well, who are those who are followers of Jesus? What would be some identifying traits? And I wonder if this trait of actually we know what we're about, we know the, the Lord's business, we're helping others become total followers of Jesus would be obvious. And that's been really the theme of this series that we're doing, the follow series. We're trying to simplify as best we possibly can. What are those markers? What are those things that make a follower of Jesus obvious. And we've gone through four of them so far. We've gone through Christ-like character. The second one we looked at was a Bible-based life, that we know the Bible, we trust the Bible, we love the Bible. We looked at a consistent community that followers of Jesus are engaged in the community of the church. We looked at humble service, and we looked at the fact God's equipped us and empowered us to serve with the spiritual gift that he's given us. The fifth marker, which we're looking at today, is this one called joyful generosity. You know, if you were to look at the life of Jesus, you'd find all of these traits and the following two, which are coming up in the next two weeks, you'd find them described beautifully. But when I come to this trait, joyful generosity, and I consider the traits of the world around me, I wouldn't use those markers to describe what I see. I think I would honestly say that Even though we can definitely see around the world, we can see acts of kindness and generosity, and we see people with uh, philanthropy, uh, ideals, giving away lots of money. On the whole, I think we see a lack of generosity. And if I was to summarize it in this world, I think it would probably be defined with three words, mine, more, and next. So let's have a think through those words, mine, more, next. Thinking about that first word, mine, it's really, really easy to live with a mine, mine, mine kind of, um, kind of mindset here in our, in our world. And it's, it's, a, it's a way of, of thinking that says, all that I have is mine. I earned it. I worked for it. Or I inherited it. Or I'm entitled to it. It's, it's mine. All of it is mine. And therefore, I get to decide how I use it. My money, my body, my education, my skills, my possessions, my time, my talents, my family, 
it's all mine. Now, I may decide to use what is mine to benefit others, and then that's, you know, I'm doing really good at that point. I'm charitable and somewhat heroic because now I'm taking what's mine and I'm allowing it to be used by others. Or I might say, no, it's mine and I'm going to keep it for me and mine. And that's fine because, after all, it's mine. That's a mine mindset. The second word that just sneaks in real close to that word mine is the word more. And this is that desire that we have within ourselves to accumulate more, to keep on adding, to gather, to hoard, and to sort of protect. I have an appetite within me which is never fully satisfied. It's like I have a hole inside that no matter how much stuff I stuff in, it doesn't get filled, and so I'm always on the lookout for more. And I see others who have more, and I get a good feeling when I add more to what I already have. And I believe that if I just had more, then things would be better, things would be different, and so I pursue more, I go after it. More money, more income, more stuff, more education, more experiences, more likes, more food, more tattoos, more piercings, more clothes, more shoes, more gadgets more cars, more houses, more adventures, more holidays. More, 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 more to add to mine, 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 right? And none of these individual things that I just mentioned, none of them are bad, none of them are evil, none of them are wrong. It's just that there's this constant appetite for more. Kevin Harney in his book, Seismic Shifts, he said it like this, once we get the thing we thought would make us happy, we notice that others still have more than we do. And we end up wanting more. And in a short time, we are just as dissatisfied as we were before our most recent acquisition or conquest. And sadly, instead of breaking this vicious cycle, most of us just set our sights on the next goal or acquisition, and we go through the cycle over and over again. Mine, more. And the third word that describes this whole mindset is the word next. We live in a world of constant upgrades. There's always the next, isn't there? And it's always either just come or just coming. And if it's just come, there's another one just coming. Next, next, next. Bigger, brighter, better, faster, more powerful, sleeker, smaller, sexier. I must have the next one. This one won't do because there's the next one. And even although this one did do till now, it won't do now because there's the next one. It can even be the next clothing style, the next interior design style. Next, mine, more, next. You know, you'd be doing really well if you've got to this point in your life, living in this material world, if you've got to this point and you are unaffected. Let's be honest, guys. We were writing this while on holiday at a resort. <laughs> you want to be challenged about a sermon? <laughs> Seriously? That's why I didn't want to write it. 
we've been challenged on this. And we think you probably are challenged as well. We need God's help. Would we? Let's just pause for a moment. Let's just take a moment and let's actually pray. Because we need spiritual help here to escape this. So let's pray and, and let's pray for a change of heart and of lifestyle. Okay, you bring you before the Lord, just quietly. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to you. We pray, Father, as we consider who we are and how we live, if these three words have begun to unnerve us or rattle us, Father, we want to say thank you. And we ask, Lord, as we continue in this message, that you'd equip us and help us to live with your mindset. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Amen. You know, the, the purpose for living <coughs> as a follower of Jesus is really very simple. And uh, we've talked about this. If you've been here at the street for any length of time, you'll know that the way we describe it is helping people become total followers of Jesus Christ. And that, that statement is not just about one small aspect of our spiritual life. It's the totality of our life. That's what this follow series is about. We're saying following Jesus affects everything. You cannot separate parts of your Christian life from other parts of your life. And so it comes into this area of generosity as well. And when we look at Jesus as our example, we see that his life exemplified the generous lifestyle. In fact, his life in one verse, it talks about for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Or to put it another way, his joy was to lay down his life because he knew the eternal consequence, the eternal result of that. And so if we to take that simply as a baseline, everything we then do is built on that mindset. And so to live and to think and to feel like Jesus, I don't know about you, but I can't do it. And so I need the Holy Spirit to help me, and I would suggest that you do too. We need him to develop in us a mindset and a heart that's ready to give anything and everything as God would direct us. You know, as we follow his way of generosity, we can also help others do that. And can I suggest to you that we need to get this topic of financial generosity out of the closet and into the open? Yeah, so often in our Christian walk, we're, we might be quite happy to talk about encouraging each other to go along to church, sometimes. We might be encouraged to help each other. Yeah, how are you going in your quiet time or your Bible reading? But how many of us would ever have a conversation with someone saying, how are you going in your financial stewardship? How are you going in your generosity? And I think if we're helping one another, these are the conversations in our life groups and in our friendship groups that we need to be having. Why? to help each other grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. So, the typical life, as we've just learned, is filled with the idea of mine, <coughs> more, and next. But a life following Jesus is a life full of generosity. So we're going to take those three words, and we're going to replace them with three new words that will help us grow this type of lifestyle. So instead of mine, it's God's. 
quite simple, really. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it pretty easy to understand and to appreciate the fact that God owns the mountains and the hills and the planets and the animals and outer space. They all belong to him, and that's, that's quite simple. But what about my car <laughs> or my bike? Or what about my job or my study? Or what about my home or the room in which I live or rent? And what about all the things that I've got in that? What about my clothes? What about my shoes? What about the 24 hours I have in this day and the 24 hours I'll have tomorrow? What about any investments I might have? What about KiwiSaver? What about my qualifications? What about if I'm a boss, what about my employees? What about our marriage? What about our children? About our friendships? about my ministry or life group that I'm involved in. Everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You're in your mind. Just think through all the things that you have in your life and imagine getting some post-it notes and writing God's on the post-it and sticking that on everything. Yeah, when you go, when you walk out to your car, stick the name God's on it. Mm. When you get to the front door of your home, put the name God's on it. When you pick up your phone, it's God's phone. I don't know how you treat those things as actually belonging to God. Yeah, a number of us in this room will no doubt serve on a, on a trust board. We might be trustees of a school or <coughs> some uh, elders here at the church are your trustees of the church and all it has, or maybe it's of a family estate or some other organization. And as a trustee, you know you don't own it. And every time you walk into a conversation, every time you walk into a situation where you're discussing that asset or that situation, your first thought is, how do I ensure that this asset is best used for the benefit of the owner? Do you realize that you are not an owner of anything in God's economy? You're a trustee. Now, does that change fundamentally how you approach everything you have. It's a huge shift, isn't it, from mine to God's, but this is, this is biblical. This is how we live as Jesus followers. The other word that we would shift is instead of more, we would shift to the word enough. Enough, I have enough. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10, has this most inconvenient verse. Oh boy, it says this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Pause. Here's what we learn from this verse. If you don't think you have enough money, then that is proof, according to God, that you love money. Not that, it's not proof that you don't have enough money. It's proof that you love money. And it's very quiet in here. If, if you think that you need a higher income, you're always thinking of, I just need a higher income. 
If you think that and you're not satisfied with the income that you have, then it's not evidence that your income isn't high enough, it's evidence that you love money. It just doesn't get any clearer than that. That's remarkable, isn't it? And so Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, he talked about loving money. He said that you can't serve both God and money because you'll end up loving one and hating the other one. And if you love money, therefore, Jesus would say you're not loving God. In fact, he'd say you're hating God. Wow. And so Hebrews 13, verse 5, says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. What a freedom there is for those Jesus followers who don't love money. What an incredible place of freedom for any human being who's not in love with money. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that marvelous? Money doesn't bring freedom. Money never brings freedom. Loving God brings freedom. It's a whole different thing, isn't it? I'm so glad he told us this. So keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I'll never leave you. Love God instead of loving money. Again, I think we need to pause and we need to just bring this before the Lord individually. Because if you're anything like the person beside you, then this is something you need God's help with. So let's just pause and and would we ask God to free us, to help us to live free from the love of money and that we would be people who would love God instead of loving money. We have a choice there, but it's one exclusive of the other. So would you just bring that to the Lord right now? Just talk to God about that. Amen, amen. God's enough. We live in a material world. We live in a physical world. We live in a a world that's full of shops and investments and nice, beautiful, pretty, shiny things to buy. We live in a world of stuff, don't we? And so how can we actually live free from mine more next? How can we live as a Jesus follower in a place like this? Well, the key to this freedom is summed up in the words of of the marker we're talking about right now. It's summed up in the two words, joyful generosity. And we just paused and we asked God for his divine help in freeing our hearts so that we can love him instead of loving money. And one of the key ways that God actually affects this change in our lives is through our own generosity. As we are joyfully generous... God does something in us and he sets us free from mine more next. And he begins to make us people who live in a way that says God's enough and generosity. That's how it happens as we are joyfully generous. And don't you love that those two words go together? You know, in the Bible it says, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says that God loves a cheerful giver. 
a joyful giver. So by assumption, we could say that God's really not, doesn't really like grumpy givers. He just doesn't really like them very much. But God loves a cheerful giver, and he puts cheerful and giver like that together. There's joy in generosity, and that's how God gets to our hearts as he frees us from stuff. You know, giving comes naturally to some people. I love kids, and I've watched a lot of kids with this whole thing, and I've noticed that for some kids, giving comes naturally. You go up to a kid, and you probably shouldn't do this, but go up to a kid and ask for their lollies, and some kids will just give them to you. And you watch a child at their birthday party where they've just got something brand new and all their friends are around. And for some kids, they just want everybody else to play with their toy. They don't think about the fact that those horrible other children could make it dirty or break it. Right? No, they don't. They just let them play with it. I wasn't a kid like that. <laughs> I, I hid my lollies from people. I had spots in my room. No one would have ever found them. You still do that with your chocolate. Yeah, well, I do. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So I have had to learn. I am in the process of learning. What about you? Have you been someone who this comes naturally to? If you've had, that's great. But if not, then we need to actually learn it. And the Bible teaches us about how to train our hearts and to recalibrate our minds towards this joyful generosity. You know, when you look through the Bible, you see uh, the principles of tithing and of offerings, and the teaching about those comes entirely from the Old Testament. You have this classic line, and you probably have heard this before, that the tithe is to give 10%, and then an offering or a free will offering is what you would give over and above the 10%. And you see that in the Old Testament, and you see people giving, and they used to tithe everything, go right back to Abraham in the beginning, and he gave a tenth of everything he had to the Lord. And in Israel, they would give a tenth of their seeds and their fruit and their flocks, and they were all given to the Lord, and the people gave a tenth of everything they had to, to the Levites, who were the religious leaders of the time, and that was to support the Levites and their uh, work in the temple. And then the Levites, in turn, were to give a tenth of everything, everything they had to the chief priest. And that's all well and good, and this question of should we tithe today is a question of great debate in the church. And you may have been involved somewhere at some point in this discussion where should Christians tithe? Should we give legalistically? Should we give this 10%? If this is an Old Testament teaching, are we bound by this today? Now I'll give you a really quick, simple answer to that. And the answer is no. We're not bound by that. To tithe is not a New Testament command. But, it remains an incredibly helpful tool that we can apply to ourselves as followers of Jesus. You see, we're not under law, we're under grace. The challenge with that is, though, that often people then say, oh, there's an Old Testament law, therefore I am free, I don't need to do it. And so what I find is when people are debating, should I tithe or not tithe, is it Old Testament or New Testament, really the question they're asking is this, I don't want to give anything, is there any way out of it? The lifelong followers of Jesus, who are growing as followers of Jesus, would tend to tell us that things like the discipline of tithing and other disciplines like reading your Bible on a daily basis, like serving others, like making a priority of coming to church and worshipping and learning together, like being in a small group where you can grow and help each other become total followers of Jesus Christ, 
There is no rules around any one of those things. But there is this incredible reality that they are powerful tools that God has given us to shape us, to train our hearts, and to recalibrate our minds toward these markers of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? What does that mean? Well, let's give a personal example. For Sarah and I, we tithe. And we tithe to the street, and that continues to be for us a powerful thing where we declare at least these four things. Firstly, we declare that everything we have is God's. And when I look at, at the, the weekly or the fortnightly you know, paycheck that comes in and I then see what goes out, it reminds me, again, yeah, I'm making a choice. That belongs to God. Secondly, it trains us that we have enough. Thirdly, it trains my heart and recalibrates my mind to say I love God and not money. And fourthly, it reinforces that we care about the mission of the church. And we do that because we are treasurers there your heart will be also. So over and above that, we give offerings, additional generosity, and there are many ways to do that. There are missionaries and mission organizations to support, which we do. There are local needs and opportunities we're involved in. There are those nudges of the Holy Spirit, which we're all getting more and more used to and more and more responsive to and obedient to. You know, when the Lord puts someone on your mind or in your path, that you get the opportunity to surprise them with a gift. Maybe it's money, or maybe it's something that they need, or maybe it's the costly gift of your time or of your energy. And God loves it when we do this because he, he loves the happy, the cheerful giver. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, it tells us that we should excel, we should be excellent in this grace of giving. Now, you might be sitting here going, wow, well, that sounds like what I need to be, but when I look at my finances, they're a mess. You know, sometimes I've heard it preached from a pulpit where they say, yeah, your, your finances are a mess. What you need to do is start giving 10% and God will sort it out. And I've seen the carnage behind that too. I'm on the board of Christians Against Poverty. I know what happens when people blindly go and do that, which leads to a very strong suggestion for you. If you're sitting here saying, man, my finances are not in control, go to this course. Not that simple. It's, it's the next Christians Against Poverty money course. It's on Thursday, the 18th of July. Now, just a little note here. The title Christians Against Poverty, which is what Christians are against, and it is what we as an organization are fighting against, this course doesn't, you don't have to be in poverty to go to this course. This course has got timeless principles. It doesn't matter whether you're earning $5 or $5 million. This will give you the biblical principles around organizing your finances in a way where you can get control on them. And so it doesn't really matter where you're at. This is a brilliant course for you. You can get registered by going to capmoneyatthestreet.org.nz. Yeah, another way, if you want some more information on this whole giving side of things, Last year we did a series called Words to Live By and on the 26th of August I did a series on giving and, and uh, that's there. If you go to the app you'll find that graphic and you can go into there you'll find it or simply go to our website and under the sermons you'll find that uh, sermon in there too and that might be helpful for you. Mm. Fantastic. Okay, so we train our hearts and we recalibrate our thinking through generous giving, through giving generously. But why do we even want to do that? Why does that even matter? 
Have a listen to these words from Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Jesus says to us, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Jesus is teaching us here that there are two kinds of treasures. There are those treasures which are temporary treasures, and there are those treasures which are eternal treasures. So how do you know the difference? How can you tell? Well, right here in in the scripture we just read, the, the temporary treasures are treasures which can be stored here on earth. It's possible to store them in a portfolio or in a safe or in a house or dug up and put under the ground in a hole, whatever. You know, they're able to be stored here. If they're able to be stored, they're temporary in a bank account, whatever, okay? The other thing about these temporary treasures is that their value can be reduced, And so maybe they can be got at by by moths or rats or water damage or smoke damage or um, a a, a, um, global financial recession or whatever it is. Or maybe they can be lost or stolen. So their value, what, what, what you have from them is reduced. Okay, they can be stored and their value can be affected. That means they're temporary. And a lot of our treasures are those temporary things. But Jesus tells us there's a second category of treasures. And these treasures, they are eternal treasures. You you cannot store them here on earth. They don't get stored here on earth. They get stored in heaven. And they have enduring worth and enduring rewards. And nothing can get at them. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus goes on to describe this even more. And you don't want to miss this. This is is really important. This is a life-changing kind of truth. And and there's a verse in here, verse 9, that you've got there on on the screens. And it's within the context of quite a complicated story of contrasts. So if you want to go back to the actual story, do that in in your own time. But right now we're going to go to the one verse that's like the the key clincher verse in that story. And Jesus says this. He says, here's the lesson. In other words, bottom line. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Or another translation says they'll welcome you into eternal dwellings. What Jesus is saying here is crazy. What Jesus is saying here is that you can use something as earthly as money to achieve something spiritual and eternal. This is incredible stuff right here. You can use your money how everyone else uses it, or you can use your money to achieve something eternal. He says if you invest in things that last forever, you will see people come to salvation. You will see people born into the kingdom because you've invested your money into that. And therefore, what will happen is this, one day, When you die and you cross over into heaven, 
there will be people who will say to you on those streets of gold, come into my house. I have got a mansion here. I have got a home here. I have got a room here that Jesus has prepared for me. And I want to welcome you in because you don't know it, but you are part of my story. You're part of how I ended up here. Because you decided to use your worldly wealth for things that last eternal, and because you cared about the world that Jesus died for, I was one of the people. Would you come in and have a cup of tea with me so I can tell you about it? Wow. We met a guy, we're going to tell you some more about him in two weeks' time when we talk about the seventh marker, but we met a guy in Vietnam the guy who was our tour guide for a day, his name was Tan. And he's one of these, I pray he'll be one of these guys. I pray he'll be one of these guys in heaven one day. But you know what? One day, what happened was somebody invested their money and they bought a Bible in Vietnamese. And they, he played soccer with this man and this man gave him a Bible in Vietnamese. And as we sat with our tour guide over a, over a coffee and we were sharing the Lord with him, we found out that he'd been given a Bible one day and he said to us, they're so expensive here. He said, this man, he gave me a Bible in Vietnamese. And we said, have you read it? He said, twice. He's not saved yet. We'll tell you his story in two weeks' time. But the man said to him, put that Bible under your pillow and sleep with your head on it. And he has. And one day, maybe that man will be welcomed into an eternal dwelling because he decided that his money needed to be spent on something that lasts forever. I want to be that person. There's so much more we could buy. There's so many more places to go and fun to be had. But there's eternal dwellings that matter so, so much more. Friends, we are Jesus followers. We are people who are on mission. He died for the world around us. And he wants us to use our money for the mission. He wants us to use our money to see Bibles written. We support Esther with Wycliffe to translate Bibles to get them into other countries. He wants us to use our Bibles to support people like Ben, who has stood up here and said he's about to go into a foreign land again and share Jesus. He wants us to use our money so we can support people like Barbie and Paul, Paul who stood here and preached two weeks ago, who trains up people to preach the gospel in foreign lands all around the country. We get to use our money so that we affect eternal destinies of other people. Yeah, this weekend, um, in my extended family, we are watching my uncle pass away. Uh, he's down in Nelson, he, uh, he's in hospital, he's uh, floating in and out of consciousness at the moment. The latest little photo was sent by my cousin, um, has got my uncle there holding the hand of my auntie. And, uh, and the little note on the Facebook things, you know, pretty much this is all that matters and this is all that's left. Yeah, my uncle ran a big farm down in Nelson. We exported fruit along with my dad. We exported, we didn't export my dad. We exported <laughs> my dad and my uncle. Yeah, they, they exported fruit and, and the dairy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, big, high, successful farm, all that sort of stuff. Right now, that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You can't take it with you. 
And the thing which I am most grateful for for my uncle, from my uncle is that 20, 30, 35 years, 40 years ago, he gave me his time. And we sat together in a study and we opened the word of God and he, he taught me. And he was the, the person who, this is it's actually it's in the, the history book, but he was the uncle who, when I was 18 years old and very confused and didn't know which way was up, he sat with me and he prayed with me and he said, um, you know, Lord, one day would you put Nick in a place where he might be able to influence what was then Elizabeth Street Chapel for good. And that was 15, 20 years before I stepped into pastoral ministry here. And I, I can't wait to see him in heaven again and shake his hand for that eternal impact. I wonder what impact you're having in terms of your time, in terms of your finances. You'll never know the full extent of it. I encourage you to do this thing. We're going to sing a, a song in a second. Um, Jamie's just said, we didn't do this in the first service. We're doing it now. It's, it's just so beautifully sums up everything about this. But before we do that, I want you in your mind and then go home and do this. Get out a piece of paper and put a line straight down the middle of it. And on one side of that piece of paper, write earthly assets or investments. And on the other side, write eternal investments. And do the list. And see what that does. See how long each side is. And this is not a list to say, man, well, if I've got a long list on my earthly side, I need to transfer it all over and cut those things. We're not saying that. I know you know that. But what we are saying is, where is your heart and your mindset and what is God calling you to do? Would you stand with me? Jamie, lead us. <laughs>